0: Setting up systems and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com/backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Brittany Cotton is a speech language pathologist in St. Louis, Missouri, who knew that she wanted to have a private practice back when she was an undergrad. She had big dreams back then, and her dreams have come to life as now she has a thriving private practice with six team members. Brittany's practice provides therapy via in-person services, telepractice, and school contracts. I got to know Brittany as a participant in the Grow Your Private Practice program, and oh my goodness, has she grown. I'll let her tell the story. But she also got a very cool award last year after being recognized for her amazing work. In this episode, she talks about how she started her private practice, including navigating a tricky non-compete clause. She also talks about how she started with school contracts and how they've helped her grow her private practice. She touches on her philosophy of paying her clinicians and also her growth plans for this year. Whether you've been thinking about private practice for a long time or if this is just something that you're warming up to and you want to see how Brittany made her private practice dreams come true, This is a must-listen episode, so stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system, and I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay... It's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life, and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. So, before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice?
1: So, I am Brittany Cotton. My practice is Speak Wonders LLC, and we are located in St. Louis, Missouri.
0: I am so excited to be doing this interview with you. I have gotten to know you a bit in the Grow Your Private Practice program, where my goodness, I have seen incredible growth. But I'd like to go back to the beginning. Can you please share with our listeners a little bit about how you got into this profession and maybe what your first, you know, job or so was like? And when did you start thinking about private practice?
1: Okay. Okay. So I knew as an SOP undergrad that I wanted to own my own practice. So I went to Alabama A&M University for undergrad and for grad school. And I had a really good girlfriend at the time that we went through the program together. We study groups. We had this whole dream team that she was going to have a Ph practice and then I was going to service adults. And then we we're going to have a joint clinic that we both were going to run. So fast forward to actually graduating and getting my first job um, in the field, I worked at a school where I completed my CS. And um, it was about an hour from the city where I went to university at. And I loved it. I fell in love. With the kiddos, I had a preschool, um, three through five year old special ed classroom. So I did a lot of pushing, did some pull out, and back in school, I was always like an adult, like therapist, like that's my jam, that's what I'm gonna do, until my CM, and then I've been in the schools ever since. I Just kind of love it. I recently got back into working with adults as a private practitioner. I love I'm also an adult person, too. And
0: I remember I did a school placement in grad school and I just thought I was going to hate it because like I was just all adults all the time. And because I put the bar so low, I actually had a really good time and I learned a lot. But I still also learned that the schools weren't for me. But it's it's always interesting to see how people's
1: journeys with that go. My first job I did in Florence, Alabama. And then I was there for three years and then I moved back home to St. Louis. And of course, I got right back into the schools, but I only treated students there for the first school year. After that, I joined the diagnostic team within my district. And so I was one of the speech and language evaluators and I had done that for seven years before I resigned. I kind of just grew a love for diagnostics. Um, that, That public school... Very huge district. There was like a small diagnostic team. So me and the two other SLPs on that team, um, along with three AAC evaluators, we were like really close and we had a, it's like a little speechy family. We would do things outside of work together, but I learned so much about diagnostics and different assessments. Of course, like the SPED program or as it relates to qualifying and criteria. So. Now, in my practice, I do a lot of evals. I still dabble in treatment here and there, but I also do a lot of managing. My hands are in like all of the things, like all of the time,
0: which I love that. I love that about people, like people who are real kind of like go-getters who like to do all the stuff, like to get their, you know, hands dirty and, and get into it. So you're working at the school and you're on the diagnostic team and you've got this nice, you know, couple other people that you're you know friendly with and everything else. At what point did you start kind of thinking about private practice
1: more than like when you were an undergrad and this had always been your dream? I can't remember what year I started, but I started to see private clients on the side. So this may have been like 2016. I don't know. I might be a little bit off with the year. I know I didn't work long for this firm. So this was a different, another firm here in St. Louis. Um, and I think another girlfriend recommended me to like, hey, if you want to pick up some extra money, they're hiring, you can do in-hall therapy, you can make your own schedule, take as many clients as you want. And so you have the option of doing like early intervention, case full age, and then adults. So I was like, okay, cool. So I'll do that. Um, and then I just started picking up one or two clients here or there, nothing too heavy because I was still working full time in schools. I worked there for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And I really liked the flexibility of like traveling, being like right in the family's homes. I almost became like a second family member. I know I like to still keep things very professional, but all of my families were like super sweet. If ever I had to cancel or reschedule a visit for like weather, because we get crazy weather here, like snow and ice. And so if I had to reschedule or cancel for whether or personal, whatever, doctor's appointment, anything. They're like, okay, Brent, that's okay. We'll see next week. And it was just a really good, a really good relationship. I saw that a lot of the things that I worked on with my clients, like in their living rooms, in their kitchens, siblings or family members were kind of like, okay, so that's how you do that. And it kind of helps lend itself to some better treatment outcomes for some of the clients that I work with. They would say, oh, hey, we did this over the weekend. And that thing you showed me Tuesday, we did it on Thursday. And she said X, Y, Z, or he did. And I was just like, oh, okay, that was great. It was a great feeling. I love like having that. I wouldn't say like instant gratification. Sometimes with our clients, it takes a while for them to grasp skill, to even show what that progress looks like. But hearing that feedback, instant feedback from the family, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right, girl. Keep it up. And I just kind of fell in love with that. So juggling full-time diagnostics at the school, my private caseload grew, which I just made it work. I was seeing like two kids almost every day after school. Like I would go school, first client, second client. I mean, it, it started to get a little ridiculous. and I was like, I need to kind of scale back a little bit. At some point during my, my time with this other firm, I kind of realized like a pattern of referrals that were specifically being sent to me. So at that time, I was one of two Black SOPs at this firm and all of the referrals they were giving me were for a certain neighborhood or a certain part of the city that a lot of other clinicians that worked there didn't want to travel to. I would refer other folks like, hey, call such and such. You know, they have great SOPs. They come to you. They have OTs and PTs on staff. So I was just like really promoting this firm. I really believed in the company. Up until this point, I hadn't had any problems anywhere else. But over time, I just started to notice a pattern that just didn't feel right It didn't sit right. A lot of families will come back to me and say, yeah, they're busy or there's a wait. There's like hundreds of people that work here. I don't know if that's all the way true. So after a while and just doing so much, like at one time, I said, you know what? I need to take a step back. I'm going to put in my two weeks and just take a break. And then that's when everything kind of fell into place. I started to get calls like, family sent, you're leaving. They're going to go with you. I had a non-compete clause, which I knew about. I was not going to break. I didn't want any issues or legal trouble with them, but they were calling. Just want to remind you about your non-compete. Okay, I know about it. I'm not going to break it. Um, and so it was a 12 month plus. So in that year, I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure out what I need to do to get incorporated, to start a practice. Even if I start seeing a couple of people here and there, let me just see what I need to do. And so it kind of just grew. It started off as a good experience and then it kind of went sour a little bit. And when we split ways in my 12 month downtime, I just kind of went to work and researched. I had friends who had kids, who was, you know, he's not talking yet or can't quite understand him. Can you work with them? I'm like, OK, yeah. So it started off with family and friends and kind of just grew word of mouth after that.
0: I love that. Dude, That's one of the things. Non-competes, first of all, make me like so irritated. Like, I think that people should be able to do what they want. Right. And so anyone listening who has a non-compete, some people do, some people don't. Right. If you do, you have to look at it and you have to see what the terms are, right? Like, Brittany, yours was a time-based thing of a year, right? Sometimes it's a time thing. Sometimes it's a geographical distance thing. There's all these kind of different things. You just have to really look at the language and see, is there any way that I can kind of, you know, still have my practice around this, right? And, you know, honesty is the best policy. You know, I like to be really careful about that kind of stuff. And so like if you have any questions, you can definitely talk to a lawyer or whatever. But I think that they're kind of terrible. But unfortunately, they exist and some people have to work their practices around them.
1: Yeah. And so even during that time, all of the families that I were assigned to, they went without services for a whole year. They weren't transitioned to somebody else's caseload. They just weren't seen at all. It was awful. So a lot of the families did end up contacting me and reaching out after that 12-month period to see if I had availability, if I wanted to come back and and work with some of those kids still. I don't have non-competes in any of my contractor agreements for my SOPs. I had that one experience with it and I was just like, you know what? We're not going to do that here. <laughs> Feel free for- to work as much as you want from yeah, whoever else.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's one of the cool things too, is like when you're the boss, you get to make... Those kind of roles, right? Like in my company, in the independent clinician, I also don't have anything like that, right? If people want to, you know, sell therapy materials or people want to do whatever else, like people can, in my, you know, I'm one of these people who thinks people should be able to have the freedom to choose to do whatever they want to, right? And so it's cool when you own your own company and you can make those decisions, which are often based on like negative experiences in the past, right? Like if there's something that you experienced as an employee, that you didn't like, that didn't sit right with you. It's kind of cool when all of a sudden you're the boss and you can decide, look, I don't want to run my company that way, right? Okay, so you had a year, this weird kind of in-between year. Your four clients were not getting services. Now all of a sudden a year's gone by and what happened next?
1: Right, so throughout that year, I struggled my way through figuring out what to do. So I was able to form an LLC and figure out what I needed to do to except I think I started with Medicaid. That was the first one. And I was like, that application packet is like a whole thing. So I did reach out to some good friends that are SLPs and private practice owners. And they were able to kind of guide me and kind of be a mentor. I was able to bounce questions off of them. Like, where should I go to get this started? Or how do I access this? And so they were super helpful. Even my good girlfriend, who's a therapist in Atlanta, She's like, okay, so this is what I did, but you need to check for Missouri because Georgia's different. And I was like, okay, well, at least I have somewhere, some type of direction, right? Because I was just like flailing. I was on Google. I was searching a lot of things. Um, So they really helped me. And then I had one parent, well, actually, so three families from the last firm kind of came back um, and I was able to work with their kids again. And one of the moms is a chairperson over a bunch of different organizations here for the city, a bunch of playgroups of parents that have kids on the spectrum. And so like through that word of mouth, she's like, is it okay if I get your number to such and such as? And I was like, yes, please, like go right ahead. And so kind of like through word of mouth, even before we got everything finalized with insurance, my phone was kind of ringing off the hook. I feel like I had a, a wait list before. I don't. I don't even know how long it took, but I was still working full time at the school, so I didn't have that much time that I could dedicate to like a full private caseload. And so I kind of just did the same thing for a while that I did with the other firm. I took a handful of clients, maybe like five. I saw either one or two kids after school. The demand just started to increase. We finally got our insurance. We were taking private pay at the time. I do want to say that. It was great when when the invoices got paid. I realized that that's not feasible for a lot of families to do, especially in the area that I was in. And like these are hardworking parents. They have children with all of these different disabilities. So there's other expenses constantly going out. And that's when I've really tried to focus on. Medicaid and some commercial insurance plans to try to supplement the private pay that started out being good and then kind of dwindled. I will say, in the very beginning, I was a softie when it comes to letting people slide for paying or like paying in installments. I've definitely gotten better and I'm more strict on the business end of things. But in the beginning, I was very much, oh, that's okay. You can get it to me next week. Type of person, which I laugh at now, but that's really like pulled me up back then. I would tell my partner, "Well, they didn't pay today," and I didn't know how to tell them no. Or, and she was always telling me, "Like you're just too soft, you're too nice. You got to be stricter when it comes to that part." You said a really key thing in there, which is you're learning, right? Like, and and you learned,
0: right? Now, now you're in a, a very different place than you were then. But I think when it comes to you know, we are are helping people, people at our core, right? And a lot of times that is one of the things that kind of makes people struggle in the beginning is that guilt, right? But the truth is you can't stay in business and you can't continue to serve people if you're not collecting the money, right? Like businesses need money in order to be able to, you know, stay afloat, right? And so eventually you do learn how to be, you know, you don't have to be like, you know, super hard, but you just have to be like, listen, this is the rule, right? Like this is... The
1: agreement, this is when I need the payment or whatever, right? But end rant on that. (laughs) Yeah, so shortly after that, I brought on my first therapist. This may have been mid-2019. So I brought on my first therapist. She also was a school-based therapist, somebody that I knew from my district. And I knew that she was um, a good therapist and just super dedicated. I actually was her CF supervisor in the school's so I spent a lot of time in her building. Since I was on the evaluation team, we kind of had like double duties in our district. So if there were new SOPs to the district, our supervisor would ask us to be a mentor or if they were CF to be a supervisor. And so I supervised her her first year in the district. And so I got a lot of one-on-ones with her. I was able to observe a lot of her sessions going over to her buildings. And she was interested in doing private therapy too. After her CF, this was after, of course. But and I was like, okay, well, I'll bring her on. And it just started from there. She was the only clinician that I had for maybe two weeks. <laughs> so it was just me and her, two years. But this whole time, our phone is just ringing, ringing, ringing. I started to feel bad that the list was so long and not getting shorter. Like, it's still long now, but not as long as it was in 19. But... Even when people call and I called you a month ago, I want to know where we are on the list. Like, I wish we could get to you. Um, But I mean, again, that's another staffing issue. But back then, she was hired in 19. She was on for about two years. And then I started to learn more about how to advertise the jobs better. I definitely kind of increased what I was paying my one clinician, kind of took a look at the numbers and rearranged some things. And so I was able to get to hire on more clinicians. And now we have six people on staff, five SOPs and one SOPA. And I'm super proud about that. That's the most we've ever had at one time. We've had like three here and then two and then four. And so now we have six which is huge.
0: That's awesome. Like that is pretty tremendous growth in like not that long of a time, right? Brittany, that is like, for sure, pat yourself on the back. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, a lot of the last four definitely came in this past fall with school contracts, just trying to get enough people to satisfy all of the interests that we had and, and all of the requests to kind of come out into these different buildings. But even with that, those school contractors are also seeing private clients too. So I'm able to pull some families off the list, kind of chop at it a little bit. It is a lot to manage. Like, I feel like everything that I do or every new year, there's something new for me to learn and still like managing everything in-house and seeing a handful of clients here and there and then managing all of the other clinicians. It's like, well, I'm pretty great multitasker. Like I thought I was good back then when I was working and making sure I clog in to work on time every day. But this definitely has taken the cake on the level of multitasking abilities that I didn't think that I had, but I do. That's right. When well, you gain that those skills over time too,
0: right? Because you, you know, new things come up that you've never had to deal with before. And I think that's one of the things that we talked about before we started recording is that you know, being in the Grow Your Private Practice program, getting to see what other like growth level folks are dealing with, like that whole idea of you don't know what you don't know and seeing what's going on with other practices, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, like I never thought about that. Like I need to make sure I'm doing this or hey, that's
1: a really good idea. I should implement that too. For sure, I learn something every day if I'm not screenshotting or taking notes or adding things to my book. I call it a Rolodex, but it's like a big notebook of things that I can just like flip through. Like, oh, I remember when so-and-so was talking about this. Let me make sure I have this in place just in case. Right. Always trying to be prepared. Yeah, totally. So tell some of our listeners who are, I'm sure like heard, you know, the
0: buzzword school contracts. Right. And they're like, oh, that's something really interesting. I've heard a lot of people talking about that. Can you share a little bit about what your experience has been like, you know, going from someone who worked in a school, right, who then now has your own school contracts?
1: So far, the school contract experience has been a great one. Um, We started out accepting school contracts for short-term coverages for maternity leaves and medical leaves. And so I kind of like tiptoed into... (laughs) The contract world, the templates from the GROW program have been super helpful. I've taken another contracts course to prior to yours. And so I had that material also, but it was a little bit different. The other program kind of like prepped you for like bids and like RFPs. And our contracts just kind of fell into our lap, so to speak. We got emails from school coordinators. And then it just kind of happened over the phone (laughs) and then over Zoom, um, just like this. And so they just wanted us to send us the contracts and your services, your rate. We'll get everything squared away and we'll see you on Monday. And that's exactly how quick it happened. And I was like, whoa, let me find somebody that can be there on Monday. But my experience so far has been a great one. I have not had any billing or late payment issues. I've been reading a lot in the group to sometimes that's a thing. Luckily, we've been fortunate on, on that front. Being a contractor in a school versus being a school employee, I would have to say it's 10 times better. You are only solely responsible for speech and language and IEP implementation, all of the things that the district wants you to do as an employee, like all of the duties and the things are not your job description as an SOP. We don't have to worry about as a contractor. And I don't want to say it's easier, but it is in a way. For some reason, the job is still the same. Kids don't change. Kids are still going to be kids. IEPs and deadlines and things like that will still be the same. But for some reason, maybe it's I don't know how to explain it. Maybe less paperwork, less expected duties. You don't necessarily have to be in the buildings all day. I definitely recommend it though. I will say the pay is for sure better. My district that I used to work for, I was there for seven years and had not had a raise, had not had any type of step increases. Um, and I know people that were there for years before me were still being paid the same. and. I know that is definitely a deterrent. Um, I mean, we love the kids. We love our job, but we also want to be able to live comfortably and and do all the things that you need to do outside of school. So being a contractor is definitely a plus on that front. Yeah, totally. Well,
0: I think that that's like the difference between just kind of taking your financial future into your own hands, right? Like when you work for someone else, you really have to wait for them to give you a raise or give you a bonus, right? And oftentimes it doesn't matter how hard you work, right? We work really hard, right? SLPs and OTs work really hard and that's not often financially rewarded in our profession, right? In other professions it is, but unfortunately not ours. And sometimes it even seems like the harder you work, like you, you almost, they give you more. They're like, let me, oh, she's so good. Let me give, give her more work to do, right? When you go out on your own and you have your own practice or you have your own contracts, like you literally are in charge of your financial future, right? You can say, how much do you want to be reimbursed or what, you, what do you want your rate to be for the school contract? Like you get to make that decision versus someone else making that decision. And that
1: is a total game changer. And it kind of gives you like a confidence boost. I know I'm, a lot of SOPs talk about imposter syndrome. And I know when I was sending my first, contract out, I had to get some like some behind the scenes prep and some confidence from some other folks. I was like, can you, can you read this book like this to make sure it sounds right? Or do you think that I'm, I'm asking for too much per hour? Like I needed almost just other folks to say, no, this is good. What you're asking for is not too much. And once I submitted it, it, it was accepted and everything was signed off and I was like, well, that wasn't that bad. Look at you. And it just kind of, it was very easy from that point. I do have a really good district that started us out too. I know, at least from like the district that I came from, very different from the one that I'm currently contracting with. Like everybody has been super helpful and accommodating and that helped with the transition of things, especially if you're new to contracting. Yeah, it just made it that much easier and less scary in a sense or I, I have like a type a personality so i'm always like trying to plan things and think ahead and like map things out and sometimes i like i draw myself great, grace with my own thoughts but <laughs> after i actually get into these situations and things are they're not bad at all it's like why were you even so worried i'm learning on that end too on how to just relax and just Take things as they come yeah totally because it's something new all
0: the time and some of these things you can kind of predict and some of these things you can't predict right but that's one of the things that you have to kind of get comfortable with as a business owner is just knowing that it's not always going to go according to plan but if you're resourceful and you're you're willing to figure it out like we can do hard things we can figure things out and
1: everything is figure outable. I need that on a t-shirt. I can do hard things and everything is figure outable. <laughs> yeah, Love it's it. totally true. So tell the listeners,
0: one of the things that you posted in the Grow Group was that you got like a pretty cool award
1: in the last year. Tell everybody about your award. Yeah, so back in November, I won a Boss Elite Award. So that was given from Boss Up Magazine. It is a Black-owned magazine that is based out in Maryland. And first of all, I have no idea who nominated me, but whoever you are, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love being recognized for what I do. Sometimes it seems like I'm in my own little bubble, you know, in, in the big scheme of things and people really don't take notice, but the people around me do. So being recognized for that award from a magazine outside of my state, like way outside. I was like, oh, we have to go to this award ceremony. We have to fly to DC. Um, it was amazing. Once we went there, we were able to enjoy like a networking reception with all of the other award finalists. Um, and there were a lot of other women entrepreneurs there. Um, I was the only one in the therapy field, but there were like bankers and Gracie's Corner. I don't know if you ever heard of Gracie's Corner. She's a, a little girl on YouTube, has like over a million followers. She was there, her and her family and my niece and nephew love it. So we were like starstruck when we saw her. Like Gracie's getting on the So yeah, she was there. Event planners, any industry that you can think of. There were a total of 10 winners And when everybody came up to give their acceptance speech, they kind of told like their history, like how they started, things that may have like stopped them along the way and like where they are now. It was just super inspiring. Um, I made some good connections and I I was just super glad that someone was able to see like the positive work that we're doing here in my little town. It was great. It was great. A really fun experience. I cried all the way back to our hotel. (laughs) Was my award because it was so cute and it lights up all these different colors. Um, so yeah, it was but, great, but congratulations again, right? Like think of all of the,
0: the years of hard work that went into getting that award, right? And like to be recognized and to. I think that sometimes as SLPs, you know, we we go to Astra sometimes and you see like a bunch of people or whatever. But like when you get into like business circles, right, and all of a sudden you're with other like, you know, bosses in different industries, it really does open your eyes to realize like, hey, I can like make waves outside of just my profession. And I am in this room and I deserve to be in this room with all of these other people who are doing amazing things in their community. Right. But just like you said, like who would have thought that, you know, from St. Louis going to get this award like that's such a big deal. I'm so excited
1: for you. Thank you. And there were winners from other areas, but they were all kind of still close to that Maryland, D.C. area. Everybody was pretty shocked that we flew from St. Louis (laughs) to D.C. for the weekend. It was like a super quick turnaround trip, but it was definitely worth it. I'm just honored to have been. Nominated, and I think one of the cool things about that award too. Once I was nominated, they had a like a voting period where you have to get so many votes in order to move on to like the finalist round. And so, of course, my team here, Team Speak Wonders, we're posting everything on social media and sending email and text message blasts to not just family and friends and like our therapy families also, but people online, like supporters of Support Fairness were voting and I would get random text messages saying, say, hey, I just sent your text message to everybody in my work group chat and everybody at work is voting for you. And it's like, okay, thank you. Thank everybody at your job. <laughs> that part was kind of crazy that everybody kind of just came together out of nowhere to make sure that we made it to the next round. And that part was pretty cool too. Yeah. Bro, I love it. Well, well deserved. And I, I hope
0: too that that gave you, and that was, you know, just a couple months ago, just like fuel for this next year, right? So, what would you say are your goals for the next like six to 12
1: months in terms of your practice? So, I actually just wrote out some of my goals um, last week, have them all on my board here in my office. But for sure, I want to secure some more school contracts. Um, like I said, we've been doing short-term ones for now. And so for the 23-24 school year, I am trying to land three school year contracts. So pretty sure we'll get those. So we want to get at least three new school contracts for next school year. I have been looking into getting licensed in Illinois. So Illinois is super close to where I am, where I am in St. Louis, depending on... Like Which way you go on the highway can be like a 30 or 40 minute drive. So I definitely want to get licensed in that nearby state. So I'll be able to kind of expand and hire SOPs that live on that side of the water. And then also see those folks telehealth as well. I am also looking into putting some more energy into like our social presence. We have a YouTube channel. And I've been kind of dormant on it for the last year because I've been so focused on all of the things that we had going on this past year for 2022. So I am definitely looking forward to doing some more uploads and just kind of getting that channel up and running more. And lastly, I've been doing research about adding some different disciplines to the practice as well. People ask us all the time, families, moms, hey, do you guys do OT? Do you guys have PT? We would love to just have like a one-stop shop. And so that's something that I want to look into for this year as well. So school contracts, getting licensed in Illinois, and trying to bring on some more um, disciplines. So we'll see how all of that goes.
0: I love that. I think all of those are, are good plans and are also really doable. If you live in a part of the country where you're like nearby, like two different states getting licensed in a second state, and then that just increases the geography that you can serve. Right. And I know that we have, you know, lots of people in grow, either current members or also alumni who have contracts in different states, like they're literally having contracts in different states and are staffed with contractors and, you know, who are licensed in different states. And like that is a way to exponentially grow where you serve. Like, if you think about it, private practice used to be really local right? Like you had a brick and mortar and you only served people in your town. But like since COVID especially, now people are thinking, you know, much more like maybe not global per se, but at least like neighboring states, like thinking nationally about their presence and like
1: and how they can do it. And it's much easier to do than people realize. Oh, yeah. When we had to pivot to telehealth therapy during the state lockdown or shutdown back in 2020, We were able to, so not all of our clients were able to get therapy online. We did try though, but for some of our kids, it just wasn't a good service delivery model. But we did actually gain clients in the pandemic too, which was pretty cool. We were able to service families outside of our city. So like Kansas City, Missouri, Columbia, like these are two and three hour cities from St. Louis that we were able to connect with via telehealth. And so losing some clients that we, that we typically saw in person and then gaining others that lived like three hours outside of the city was um, an eye opener for me for sure. And I was like, oh, we can do a lot of things with this. And now telehealth is just one of our service delivery models. We still have families that will call And that's their preferred method. Like they don't want to do in-home or like a community meet at location. They strictly want online. And so, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. you're like, I'm happy to provide that. Let me, you know, I've got my six people now. So let me just see who is who it's going to be. I love that. I love that. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any last pieces of advice for people who are kind of thinking about private practice, but aren't sure whether or not They should do it or not.
1: So yes, you should do it. You should definitely do it. There's so much freedom that comes from private practice. You're able to be in charge of your financial future as well, which is a huge, huge plus. And if you're already working full time, you don't have to quit. You can just juggle and do both on the side. So essentially my... Practice kind of started off as a side hustle. <laughs> I worked full time and I saw a handful of kids after school until I didn't. And that's a like a really easy way that you can just kind of like tiptoe into private practice. Yeah. I think everybody should do it. There's enough plant out there for all of us species and even OTs. Yeah. Just take a leap. You'll definitely be glad that you did. Yeah. And your community will be glad that you did, too, right? Because there's
0: such a huge need for our services. So listeners, you know, I know that in every community basically across America and probably, you know, internationally, too, there's just not enough providers. Right. We know that there are six to 12 month or more wait lists at local clinics and hospitals. And, you know, we have we have schools that are going without services or the kids aren't getting what they you know are legally obligated to get. And so, like, we have a great opportunity to really help our communities, but also help ourselves and and our families, too. And And, you know, Brittany, you're a great example of someone who is doing that. So thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Jenna. This was awesome. You're welcome. So for anyone who wants to, like, follow you online or, you know, check out your website or anything else like that,
1: tell people where they can go find you. Or so you can find us on our website. That is www.speakwondersspeechtherapy.com. And we're on all of the socials at Speak Wonders Speech Therapy. So you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we're also on YouTube as well. So fantastic. Well, everyone, go say hi to Brittany online.
0: And thank you again for telling your story and for, you know, being a part of our programs. Thank you. Okay, don't you just love Brittany? I love her drive and also her willingness to figure out things and not let roadblocks stop her. In my book, The Path to Private Practice, I share characteristics of successful private practitioners, and Brittany embodies almost all of them, especially her ability to not let challenges stop her. Everything is figure-outable. If you want to be a business owner and have a private practice, you need to get comfortable with problem solving your way through issues in order to get to the other side. And Brittany is a perfect example of someone who is doing just that. If you would like to learn more about how we support SLPs and OTs in the growth phase of the private practice journey, just like we've supported Brittany, please visit growyourprivatepractice.com. As always, thank you for listening and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast.